the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hi, Tim. It's Nikki Antonio. How are you? Good. How are you, Senator? I'm well. I'm well. Great. Well, thanks for doing this. We'll just get right into it, if you don't mind. Sure. Starting with how you got into politics. You were a Lakewood City Council person for several years prior to joining the Ohio House. How how did you get into politics at the council level? Sure, sure. So so I, like many people that start out in uh, any kind of elected office, I had been advocating for things in my community, um, you know, local issues from I had participated in in any time there was a school levy. Um, I volunteered and and my partner and I volunteered for all kinds of things with our kids. So we were involved in the community um, and in resources for them. And then um, I found myself advocating for skate park for (laughs) one of our kids wanted to be a skateboarder Mm -hmm. and I wanted her to be safe. And, um, I went and, you know, spoke before city council and I came home and I was a little frustrated. I said, I don't even know if those people understood what I was talking about. I, I could do that job. (laughs) And I heard myself say, I could do that job. And soon after, and I had always uh, worked on other people's campaigns. I really wanted to see more women enter politics, be, um, be elected, in elected office, be policymakers. And I had never really thought about myself being in that role. And then the seat became open for city council. I decided to run. And and frankly, the other thing that had happened was in 2004, the state of Ohio had a, had a referendum put on the ballot, embedded into the Constitution, that marriage was between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And so for folks in the LGBT community, including myself, I felt like Ohio was saying that we were second-class citizens, that um, we didn't have standing, and that our family didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I knew that wasn't true. And so while many of my friends decided to leave the state and live in other places, um, our family decided that we were certainly going to stay. And I thought the best thing I could do was run for office um, as the first person from the um, LGBT community. And I was going to win as well. I was going to run. I was going to win. And I did. And uh, a couple of years later, then the seat became open for the Ohio House. And I did the same thing. And you were the first member of the LGBTQ community in the House in 2010, and then again in the Senate, the first uh, when right. you were elected to the Senate. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, again, both in the House and now in the Senate, I've uh, served in leadership. And so there have been all kinds of firsts, um, starting on the local level, but my uh, certainly my hope and I try to work very hard to make sure I'm not the last. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to open a door. It's another to keep that door open and to reach back as you climb and make sure that there are other folks that from the community that also um, just just do their um, their best 
to to represent all people in the community. And I, I think that's really important. Um, I think part of the reason why I got elected and why I continue to have a lot of support every time I run for re-election is because I think people know that um, I work very hard to represent everyone in the community. It's not an easy task um, because we have very uh, diverse ideas, walks of life, um, things that are important to people across sure. my Senate district, especially. Um, but it's but it's a challenge that that I uh, embrace. So you still live in Lakewood? I do. I do. And yes. um, District 23, what areas does it cover besides Lakewood? Sure. So District 23, um, I always explain it like if you can picture an oven mitt. <laughs> so <laughs> way, we're way up at the tip of your fingers is Lakewood and the west side of Cleveland. And then it comes down uh, and it kind of travels down 71. Um, we have Brook Park, Brooklyn. Um, then we have in the thumb is um, Brooklyn Heights and Cuyahoga Heights. And um, we also have Lindale in there. And then um, Parma, Parma Heights, and Middleburg Heights as well. Okay. So it, it's a very concentrated uh, district because we're so densely populated in, in, frankly, all of the communities, really. Right. And how many people are in the, your district? Each each uh Senate district represents about 360,000 people. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, and it contains three house districts. So another way to look at it is the Senate district is about half of a congressional district, how many people we represent. Right. Okay. Now, yeah. going back to the, the motivation that got you, interested the, that 2004 <laughs> ballot initiative that did that pass it did it did so and it is that still in that the... language yeah it's still there what happened then in uh 2013 was that the supreme court made a decision and a ruling that marriage equality um needed to Stand. And so that superseded any any state um, restrictions on marriage equality. I see. And so it was after that time period um, that actually it was 2015 that that people were able to then marry and um, across the country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so you said the last couple of weeks have been pretty hectic for you. <laughs> what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Sure. Um, you know, the other thing that comes from my past that I think I, I bring with me is my father was a bricklayer and oh, yeah. someone who my uncle's boat and my grandfather worked in the steel mills. And so there's a, there's a strong history and, and really relationship to, certainly the working people in, in greater Cleveland, but also that strong working class work ethic. Um, and, and so it was wonderful. Uh, my dad's been gone a couple of years now, but it was wonderful that he was able to not only cheer me on, but participate in my, um, campaigns and elections Mm. and, uh, wear the t-shirt, you know, you know, you're, 
family loves you when they'll wear your campaign t-shirt. And um, I named after him. So he got a kick out of people asking him if he was the candidate or not, because my dad's (laughs) name is Nick. So that was, that was always very fun. Um, But that work ethic and the belief that, um, and certainly in organized labor and people's ability to collectively bargain and have a safe working environment you know, was instilled in me at a young age, for sure. Sure. So we've been busy um, the last couple of weeks. Actually, we've been busy this whole year because I serve on many committees in the Senate, but I'm the highest ranking uh, member from the Democratic Caucus on the transportation budget. Mm-hmm. A transportation committee, we worked on the transportation budget earlier this year. Um, and now we're working on the general fund budget, that two-year budget um, that we need to pass and get on the governor's desk by the end of June. And that's going to keep you busy until then, I assume. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. June's yeah. always a hectic m- month because of that, I think. It is. It is. But, you know, um, there's a lot of important issues, uh, education, uh, how we fund education, how we um, plan for early childhood education and the quality measures. Um, there's 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 all kinds of funding issues, and then also how we spend on mental health and and drug addiction services. Um, how, the funds we send to local communities um, all are in that budget. How we paid for Medicaid. Um, which is our largest funding source for people who are um, living at or below the poverty level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, more than 50% of the babies born in Ohio are born um, with Medicaid assistance for Mm -hmm. their families. Um, So there's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. It's important stuff. Uh, Life and death matters. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Your bio says that uh, you were involved in a uh, drug and alcohol services um, entity for women prior to being elected. And were you the director of that or what what did that involve? Yeah, so um, it was called the Women's Center of Greater Cleveland. At the time, it's it's now called the Women's uh, Recovery Center. It's on the west side of Cleveland in a little neighborhood on Store Avenue. Um, And basically, it was a place where we offered outpatient treatment uh, programming for women who were uh, working to recover from either drugs or alcohol addiction. And then we also provided a lot of supportive services for them. We worked in collaboration with Rape Crisis Center, Domestic Violence Center, other other organizations in greater Cleveland um, mm-hmm. offered the services in both English and Spanish um, because there's a large Hispanic population on the west side of Cleveland. Right. Um, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. It uh, it framed and I think told me how important public policy was because anytime I'd ask, why do we have to do this the way we have to do this? The answer always kept coming back to, well, because the law says that and in order to change it, you got to go talk to the general assembly. <laughs> yeah, right. And related to that, uh, we appreciate your support of Senate Bill 25, um, which would make it harder to get around a drug test for employees. Um, um, basically, by taking off the market the synthetic urine that allows people to, oh, yeah. you know, pour synthetic urine into their cup and 
it comes yeah. with a hand warmer in the box and you just turn in, turn in this fake, um, testing sample in order to get by a drug test, which I think allows people to continue on with a, with a habit that maybe they should be getting treatment for. Absolutely. And we know how unsafe in a work environment is if someone is under the influence. Um, it's unsafe for the, for the employee, the worker, and it's unsafe for everyone around them, uh, depending on what their job is and what they're doing. And we understand, you know, if, if someone is going to great lengths, like you just described, mm-hmm. to avoid some kind of testing, chances are they need help. Right. And it's real possible that they have an addiction, which is a disease, and people can recover from it. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to acknowledge that you have the disease in order to work on making a change. Um, but absolutely, we need to make sure that there are not products out there that help someone really put themselves and others in harm's way. Right. And I also saw that you um, were involved in the passage of a uh, step therapy reform law. Does that have to do with substance abuse? You know, that has more to do with um, there are there are all kinds of medications that many times the um, the plans, the health plans require um, the business model part of things requires that people take certain drugs um, or try out certain drugs that are lower in cost mm-hmm. before they go to a higher cost. So it's not so much um, around addiction, but it's more around um, what was important to me is that a person makes the decision with their doctor on what's best for them, and then they have the support of their health plan to back that up. Mm-hmm. not the other way around, that the health plan makes a decision for them and tries to fit them into a treatment that may or may not work for them. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then also appreciate your support of uh, House Bill 28, or 68, actually. It's in your uh, it's in the committee that you sit on, the Workforce and Higher Education Committee. Um, and it would ensure that in the private market, uh, subcontractors are paid and contractors and subcontractors are paid on a timely basis for the construction work they perform. Um, there's a similar bill already on the books that law, I should say that requires this mm-hmm. in the public sector. Um, and we think it's very important for all work and the majority of the work is private to, uh, you know, it's critical for small businesses to, to have this uh, assurance of timely payments for the expenditures they they put out on a, on a project. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, is critical to me as we support um, businesses, small and large, but certainly our independent business, some of our independent businesses is that right. In order to continue to be able to be a self-sufficient and, and um, you know, just continue to, to do the work, they have to be paid in a, in a timely way so that they can turn around and reinvest and also pay their employees. Um, it's all connected, right? Everything, Absolutely. everything is connected, but, and just like that, if there's one place where we don't have the, um, participation, they're not getting paid in a timely fashion. It can, you know, the domino effect is there for, 
um, and the consequences for a whole lot of folks down the road. That's so true. I, I sit as a trustee on several of the trades, the building trades, uh, healthcare funds, for instance, and and we see when a, a contractor gets, you know, they get their payment for the work they performed held, then they can't afford to make their payments into the health funds. And then the families of those employees sometimes end up losing their health care because an owner or somewhere along the line of, of the contract has decided to hold payments. And and we see contractors go out of business, but more importantly, uh, families lose health care and, and maybe even retirement contributions aren't made because of these late payments. And you know what else I've heard? You're right. And I've also heard that sometimes some employers will withhold their Bureau of Workers' Comp um, funding. Uh, same reason, uh, because they haven't they haven't been able to stretch it far enough, and that has dire consequences for both the company and down the road it could have for those employees. Um, sure. If, if anything happens, so yeah, it's a system that works well. When 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 all the the wheels are greased and the cogs are moving just the way they need to, um, and that begins and ends with timely payment. Absolutely. Um, so, building on that, with respect to the trades, we just started uh, this last year. We started a new trades education and recruitment enterprise called Cleveland Builds. And uh, so, if you have anybody in your district, or if you have a mailing list of people in your district that might be interested in the trades or have children or nieces Mm -hmm. and nephews or friends uh, who are interested in the trades. We'd love to, um, maybe I'll send you an email after this with the uh, flyer. We have a a class starting July 12th this year, and we're hoping to get as many motivated Clevelanders and and greater Clevelanders as possible into the trades. Well, that would be wonderful. I know that, you know, as we talk about worker shortages, um, certainly that's true in the trades. And while we have some great educational facilities, there's Max Pays for kids who are in the CMSC program. Um, there's Polaris, which has some great training programs and opportunities for the trades. I don't think people understand um, the importance of connecting with our building trades and getting in those pre-apprentice or apprenticeship programs and how how great the pay is and, and that it's a wonderful career um, and you can make a wonderful wage and take care of your family and really have a good life um, being in the trades. I mean, it, it's, um, and it's there for, I think, uh, certain sets of people who who really love to do to do and to build and to um, you know use their use their hands and everything in their brains together um, my my dad was amazing because he had a 10th grade education um, but he was so smart and so gifted and and then he got to the point where he's trying to show me how to mix mortar <laughs> and, and clear and tuck point, you know, the, the bricks in my home and everything, everything that he did because he had been doing it so many years um, was just automatic and, and natural for him. And, um, but it was, it was, it's that combination of, of brains and brawn and 
skill uh, that come together and, and the finished project. One of the things my father loved about being in the trades was the fact that at the, at the end, you could see what you accomplished right. right in front of you. And he would take me around sometimes and show me the different projects that he had worked on um, and was really, really proud of them. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you, it's almost like having trophies all over town. Yeah, one of the ones I didn't know about until he told me was that he worked on the Witten Place in Lakewood, one of the high-rise oh, yeah? uh, condo buildings. Yeah, and he started telling me about the pool and the heated garage and all this. And I said, "How did you know that?" And he goes, "Well, I worked on it. <laughs> I was on the, I was on that project." I was like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea." Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, tell me about Senate Bill uh, One Nineteen, the Fairness Act. Sure. So um, we've been introducing this bill every uh, General Assembly uh, since I've been in the legislature. So we started in 2011 over in the House. And basically, it's a very simple bill to just provide protections, um, any equity measures for members of the LGBTQ community Mm -hmm. in housing, employment, and in the public sphere. Um, This last time around, we made the bill even simpler, and we just took language from a recent um, Supreme Court ruling. Uh, it was called the Bostock decision, where it said that people cannot be discriminated in employment and housing based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. And um, so that's, that's the depth and breadth of the bill. Um, we keep in place, there are some religious um exemptions in the code right now we we hold them up and and support them and do not make any kind of changes to them Mm -hmm. um but what we do is um in we have over a thousand business entities big and small throughout the state of ohio a lot of community organizations a lot of faith-based organizations that are wanting to see us pass this bill because it it communicates to businesses outside of the state of Ohio. Ohio is open and welcoming place to do business. It, it communicates that with families. Um, many of the larger organizations, your Amazon and Facebook and some of uh, Google, look for communities to bring new business into when they have these measures in place because they want to be able to transfer their staff. They want to be open to the best and the brightest. Sure. When the Ohio Chamber of Commerce came on as a supporter and the Ohio Manufacturing Association, they said they were getting on board and supporting this because they see it as an economic driver for Ohio's future. Um, just, just, just being able to say um, we have these protections in place come do business in Ohio. Right. So just wrapping up with a few more minutes, what are you most concerned about? And the counterpart is what are you most excited about in the, in the next six months? Well, right now, and what I'm most concerned about, because it's right in front of me, is how things will work out with our budget. Mm-hmm. Um, if we will make uh, fair funding school formula and early childhood quality measures a priority for our state's budget. So that's right in front of me. 
Um, what I'm looking forward to in the future is it's just continuing continuing the work. Um, this next six months, we're going to see uh, we're going Ohio's going to redraw their congressional lines as well as our state um, lines for the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'm looking forward to perhaps us having a more balanced representation going forward in our state. Um, so I'm so I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to us coming into some new kind of normal uh, out of COVID. Uh, right. People are getting back to work. They're, you know, I've str- I've long been a supporter of of labor and businesses small businesses, large and everything in between. Um, so business, our businesses are excited about opening up and having people come. I think um, it's this very hopeful time. Kids are going to go back to school in the fall in person. Um, so I think it's, it's, I think we have a new appreciation for each other and, and just what it takes for us to work together. And I think we did a really good job coming through this pandemic. And my hope is on the other side, uh, we figure out how to do some new things collaboratively to be even better. And is the uh, bipartisanship down in the General Assembly, is that fairly good? Or how is that going? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think in the Senate, I see a uh, um, communicating a lot, and and I think it's possible more in the Senate. People have told me it would it was more collegial, and I think it is. We're a smaller group; we're only thirty three compared to ninety nine in the House. Okay. Yeah. So with a smaller group, many of us have served together in the House before, and now we came over to the Senate, so we have that relationship. Um, I do believe, you know, that that's true. Uh, we addressed an issue of forced accounts. It's complicated as you know mm-hmm. um but we i thought we did a good job of having the discussion in the transportation budget um when people couldn't agree it was pulled out it was sent to a separate committee discussions ensued i'm um you know we're going to see in the next couple of weeks where we land on all that right but that was a very um mature <laughs> way to deal with an issue where there's two different two different sides, uh, two different groups of people wanting to go in two different directions. Sure. And I think the more of that kind of thing that we do, uh, the better we are in the long run. I think people really want to see us, you know, acknowledge that we have difference, acknowledge that we um, have a difference of opinion or view on some things or a priority, but then we figure out how to work it out. And so, you know, I think we do that better in this, state government than we see at the national level sometimes. And so that always gives me hope. And it also tells me I'm in the right place. Yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, certainly not a model to follow at the national level. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah, and we, we do appreciate the uh, the work you all are doing on, on the force account issue. As you know, um, CEA and, and most of the construction associations mm-hmm. are, are not in favor of increasing the limits on force accounts and for the audience uh, force accounts basically allow uh, local governments to perform construction work with local government workforce. So like a city, a uh, city workforce would do construction work instead of hiring a contractor to do that. 
yeah. uh, which we are not in favor of, obviously. But um, we appreciate that. And a no-bid contract. Yeah. And uh, um, that's a part of the problematic part of it. Mm. You know, most of our local um, our local community entities, municipal entities, township entities, you know, they're, they're charged with doing the repair. Repair is fine. Mm-hmm. But new construction has its own set of challenges and safety and quality concerns that I think I truly believe are best done by the people who have the most expertise in being able to do them, doing them safely and paying their workers a living wage. Absolutely. And uh, I know you on the Transportation Committee, I know you have your work cut out in the years ahead with respect to (laughs) the electric vehicle issue and Mm -hmm. how to fund highway work when uh, a large part of it is supported by the gas tax. Um, And then uh, I'm glad to see that uh, the new provision in the budget regarding uh, rail, rail support of rail services. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's time has come. The other thing is, um, and this is where sometimes making sure that people, that we really have a representative government, you know, all the young people, younger people I talk to Mm -hmm. really want to see us have a robust public transit system, um, rail, use rail to the best of our ability as much as possible. I have, I have two 30 something daughters. Neither one of them owns a car. (laughs) Um, one lives in Boston and one lives in Portland, Oregon, and they use public transit. If they occasionally need a car, they rent one. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think they're not alone. They're, they're the more and more young people kind of navigate through, um, in that kind of realm. Now they live in two cities with incredible public transit as well. Yeah. So I think it's something we can aspire to. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Let's hope for that. And I appreciate you keeping on uh, working on it. Um, so our time is coming to a close. I appreciate you spending the time with us and, and look forward to oh, the, working you. with you, continuing to work with you in the future. Well, thanks, Tim. I, I appreciate too. This was fun. Uh, happy to chat with you again. And, you know, Wish me luck in the budget this week down in uh, Columbus. Yeah, great. Well, good luck, and uh, thanks again. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.